Hello, and welcome to our At Any Rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Goulden from the Emerging Markets Strategy Team here at JP Morgan, and I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our Emerging Markets Strategy Team. Saad, thanks for joining. Hi, good to be here. So we've been discussing in recent podcasts how, from a cyclical standpoint, the global environment is generally a good one for EM fixed income. And what we tend to focus on is inflation is falling without a significant growth cost. Um, we're actually seeing activity indicators uh, globally turning up at the moment. And this is allowing EM central banks to credibly cut rates and should allow developed market central banks to join in that by around mid-year, say. Um, it looks like local markets valuations in emerging markets are not stretched. So FX and rates still look attractive, although we do also highlight that spreads are already quite low in EM credit. But all of this is with a caveat of a base case that the Fed is cutting this year. And the recent US data certainly made us more on guard to the risks that you know, are we sleepwalking into an environment where that's no longer the case? So I think that's probably where we should start the discussion. Um, Saad, to you, you know, this year, the market's been repriced, repricing US rates really on the back of a barrage of stronger data, less dovish Fed speak. So how worried are you about this for EM local markets? And at what point do you think we need to throw in the towel on what's been a more constructive view? I think it still boils down to this question. Are we in a soft landing? And is the Fed going to be able to cut in a preemptive fashion, i.e. cutting before there's a recession, something which hasn't been done very often in the past? So that really is a fundamental plank for the EM narrative as we've presented it this year. But there's a twist to it as well. And the twist is that the Fed's own interpretation of the numbers, of the data, is undergoing a shift as well. So we, we started to hear about that at the last press conference, that really, as far as the Fed is concerned, the inflation data, in a sense, is already consistent with them being able to cut, but they just, for reasons of prudency, would like to see more data coming along in the same vein to confirm uh, what's already the case. Uh, and I think the market hasn't fully been able to calibrate that new lens by which the Fed is interpreting numbers. So we have a couple of, uh, of additional layers of complexity now when we think about uh, this, this environment. Uh, overall, though, it does seem to me that we don't have enough evidence right now to say that we are in this higher for longer regime. That would probably require not only more data that's surprising to the upside, and it's the inflation numbers really here that matter more than economic activity and growth, because as the Fed's already communicated, a bit of an asymmetric reaction function to, to growth. So it's still going to be a focus on inflation, this week's inflation numbers clearly didn't help that narrative. But again, there's not enough in there. There's too many caveats for us to think that this is going to force an about turn on the Fed. 
So, you know, that's a long-winded way of answering your question, Johnny. At what point does one need to throw in the towel? I think it is going to boil down to inflation and, importantly, how the Fed is communicating its own interpretation of the inflation numbers because I think there is a transition going on there and we need more Fed speak to understand how they are understanding the inflation numbers. So not there yet. We need to accumulate more numbers and more data. Otherwise, status quo is we are still in that soft landing regime. And if anything, market has priced out a lot of cuts now. So for that regime, it's not bad entry levels for EM, one could argue. Got it. So um, one of the other things that we've talked about in, in previous podcasts is some of the factors that might have held back EM FX performance this year, despite other risk markets generally trading quite well. And one of those was around the trend of central banks basically letting currency weakness occur. And, and one way that we could look at that and we've looked at in the past is what's been going on with EM's foreign currency reserves. Um, so wanted to ask you, you know, as an update, what has been the trend if we look through that lens of EMFX reserves recently? So as far as FX reserves are concerned, it's interesting that you look at the data over the past year or so, you wouldn't think it's an environment where central banks would have a lot of space to accumulate FX reserves. First of all, commodities prices, especially over the last few months, have been looking quite soggy. So that hasn't been a tailwind that would allow central banks to increase reserves in the way that they traditionally do in emerging markets. And secondly, it's not as if we've had a big surge of capital inflows coming in. Quite the opposite. We've had significant capital outflows over the past couple of years. Yet, if you look at what's been happening since end 22, there has been a generalized increase in FX reserve accumulation from emerging markets. And this is not a story of your traditional reserve accumulators. It's it's an ex-China and ex-GCC story going on here. Um, it's still very much concentrated in Asia, um, but also EMEA EM have also increased um, their reserves as well. And it's coming from de facto being funded by much better current account balances. You know, something we wrote about, um, you wrote about in the latest EMOS publication, EM current accounts have been doing better, exports have been doing well, and that's allowed the central banks to, to increase their FX reserves more broadly and in a generalized way. So is that evidence, do you think then, uh, that policymakers are basically uh, allowing FX reserves to rebuild at the expense of, of FX strength? Yeah, the decision to build FX reserves in emerging markets is always a bit of a complex one because there's a trade-off. On the one hand, you want to build FX reserves because that is your insurance. That is what really matters for your credit ratings. It's, it's the bedrock on which stability is founded. But against that, building FX reserves means you could get currency weakness that could be potentially inflationary and that in itself could be a source of instability. But I think over the past year that as rates were high and inflation started to come down, that trade-off is not really acute right now 
for emerging market central banks. They feel that inflation now is coming under control and they are prioritizing the rebuilding of FX reserves, the rebuilding of stability uh, over any concerns they might have about FX pass-through. That's really a secondary concern right now. Having said that, if you look at a lot of countries, their FX reserves now are back close to peaks that we've seen over the last decade. Um, so I would expect going forward, we should see a slowing down of that FX reserve accumulation. And to the extent it slows down and the soft landing environment that we just discussed ultimately prevails, that could end up being a bit of a tailwind. Um, but we have to wait and see uh, for that to play out. But if we switch gears now, Johnny, and we think about EM rates and how resilient they have been despite all the volatility that we've seen in the treasury market and all the pricing out of the cuts uh, year to date. There's a question mark, is that the market just being complacent again, or is there a fundamental basis for this? Yeah, so if for those who haven't necessarily followed, we've had so far this year, obviously a significant rise in US yields, which people will have followed, but EM local bond yields have actually not moved much at all. So year to date, just to put some numbers on it, 10-year treasuries are up 41 basis points in yield, and our EM local bond index is just three basis points higher in yield, uh, basically unchanged. Um, and that could feel like there's a shoe to drop, there, that something is is sort of, uh, we haven't yet seen a move higher in yield and that, that maybe that is to come. But actually, if you look at this adjusting for inflation, um, actually, the real yields on EM bonds, so EM bond yields less trailing 12-month CPI inflation, um, they've actually been going up, not down. So if you look at nominal yields have been going down, real, real yields have actually been going up. So what's been going on really is actually EM yields have just been coming down broadly in line with EM inflation. And it's the improvement in the inflation dynamic in EM, which has actually um, been allowing EM bond yields to fall. Actually, if you look at that, EM versus developed market real yield, which is something that, that we often look at as a sort of a long-term uh, gauge of relative pricing, uh, EM's real yields are actually towards the upper end of that historical average range. Uh, so it doesn't look that there is actually a sign of complacency there um, for, for the way EM bond yields are trading. Nonetheless, it's worth you know, recognizing from a short-term trading perspective, it's unlikely that we're going to see a lot of duration uh, positive returns if we don't have treasury yields being stable or falling. If they keep going up, obviously, that will be a problem for us. And what about credit? You know, we've saw a record issuance take place in January, yet spreads have been range-bound, but they, they've been uh, underperforming what we've seen in U.S. corporate credit, especially in the high yield space, for example, is so is EM credit now looking more attractive um, on a relative value basis, at least? Yeah, so I, I, I guess in some ways similar to local bond yields, actually spreads on, on sovereigns have been relatively narrowly trading since the first week in, in January. Despite that record issuance, actually, spreads are in a pretty 
tight range here. And that's actually meant that sovereign credit, if you look at it versus US high yield, which is a, a, often a comparison asset class, uh, that spread differential has actually been increasing. So EM is lagging. Uh, US high yield has been coming lower and we've been relatively static. And that spread now, uh, MB over US high yield is about 30 basis points. Um, it's the highest since late 2022. Um, so it looks like there's been some underperformance. But if you dig a little bit below that surface level, this really is part of a high yield versus investment grade compression. And you've seen that also in US credit markets. So generally what's been happening is high yield spreads have been coming lower uh, and tightening versus investment grade. And the MB overall has 50% investment grade in it. If we looked at it like more like for like anyway, MB's high yield component has actually been coming, uh, trading basically uh, in line with US high yield. So as uh, US high yield spreads have been coming down, so has MB high yield spreads been coming down. And that's really in line with a lot of the things that, that you know, the way we viewed the market in EM sovereign credit, really the value has been in that higher spread component, uh, single B, triple C, even in EM is where really we've seen the value. Um, and what you've been seeing is that that some of these developments around uh, both on a country specific le level, but also as broadly financial conditions over the last uh, six months or so have been getting slightly easier. Um, that's allowing countries to come to market. And we've seen that in the high yield market as well. And that's actually being seen as a positive uh, for EM sovereign credit. So when we look at EM versus the US actually on the high yield, it's pretty much a similar trend. It's actually high yield, which has been compressing uh, versus investment grade. And that, that's been a trend across credit markets. So Sad, coming back to you, um, obviously we spend a lot of time uh, in these podcasts discussing the near-term outlook, but the team has also recently been focusing on some pretty significant longer-term changes uh, around Mexico's pension system, uh, which may impact the demand-supply dynamics over many years. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about what are those changes and what do you think the impact's going to be of them uh, over the medium term? Yeah, Mexican pension reform has been in the news again recently because of various other proposals floating around about pension uh, pension form, pension reform. Uh, but really, if you if you kind of dive deeper into what's been taking place uh, over the last couple of years, it's pretty profound shifts that are beginning to take hold. So back in 2020, reforms were already passed that resulted in the increase in contributions to private pensions. So they more than doubled. That only started kicking in over the past year and is really going to be accelerating over the next few years in terms of the overall contributions uh, of individuals uh, going into these private pensions. Um, the assets under management of private pension funds is on track to more than double over the next five years or so, depending on various assumptions uh, that we make. Um, so that means by 2030, the AUM of Mexican pension funds is going to be 30% of GDP. All told, this means that there's going to be significant additional, almost passive demand for local bonds, which is going to be quite significant. 
And um, I think it's going to make this bond market a lot less dependent on foreigners, which ultimately could, could help draw in more foreign investment into Mexican bonds, because not only are they attractive from a valuation perspective, there's also, you know, we've talked about before that the currency we think is also an attractive proposition, but despite that, foreign ownership of bonds is looking quite low. So obviously right now in the near term, we have other factors going on. We have elections in Mexico, we have US elections, but I think if we look a little bit beyond that, some of these forces really are quite game-changing and are worth uh, keeping an eye out on. Great. And that brings us to the end of this JP Morgan at any rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thanks to you, Saad, for joining today and thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2024 JP Morgan Chase and Company Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on the 15th of February 2024.